we're in a series from the book of Jonah. Not what you remember as a kid, this little book packs a punch. Dive in with us as we continue our series when God's grace doesn't make sense. For leading us this morning. Praise the Lord. Well, before um, we look into the word this morning, and we can bring up our sermon slide there, um, we're going to begin a new sermon series this morning. But we'll just want to let you know, Kim and I, wait, hon, don't go anywhere. If you didn't know, if you knew with us, this was my wife who was here, okay? And uh, so, so we have a really important announcement. Come on, hon. See, can you tell she's beaming, right? You want to tell them? We're going to be grandparents. And we actually found out the news on Christmas night, but they made us wait a whole month before we can tell anybody. But we're really thrilled and excited. Uh, And August will be the exciting day coming. That's right. August 9th is the due date. We find out the gender this coming week. And so we're very excited. You know, I I said to my son um, and daughter-in-law, I'm like, were we putting, like, too much pressure on you, you know, over the past, like, couple years? They're like, and, and Danielle, our daughter-in-law, is like, oh, no, you should have seen my father. And I said, I said, you know, we're really excited. And she goes, yeah, but my dad is, like, over the top excited. <laughs> so, but we're real, really excited. And, and my son Jonathan said to me, well, now you have something to talk about and write about other than your dog. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? So my pastor's devotion this past week was about my dog, you know? So anyway, so pray for us. Pray for the baby. It's been kind of crazy. Like every time we pray for our kids, we're now praying for this baby, you know, too, and praying God's covering over this this little one. Praise the Lord. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Jonah? Some of you are, it's going to take you about um, three hours and 45 minutes to find it. Um, but it's in the Old Testament. And if you hit Daniel, one of the, one of the larger prophets, and then just keep on flipping, um, you get past Obadiah. Some of you are like, where's Obadiah? But after Obadiah, you come to Jonah. And if you get to the book of Matthew, you've gone too far because now you're in the New Testament, okay? So the book of Jonah. And this morning, and... I don't know, like for, for a couple years, I felt like the Lord like, like kind of prompting me to go to the book of Jonah. And I kept on then like hearing messages about Jonah or teachings about Jonah. I'm like, uh, and, and, and finally, finally, I felt the release recently to bring us to this incredible, incredible um, book of the Old Testament of the scriptures. And... Um, so um, if you can go back to our title slide there, Mariah. So I just want you to see that um, this morning um, as we begin this series, and I kind of want you to kind of get that title in your head because I, I, I think it's going to be almost like a little mystery to some of us that I would entitle this series on the book of Jonah, When God's Grace Doesn't Make Sense. When God's Grace Doesn't Make Sense. And so as we go through this series, you'll... You'll see what we mean by that. And so we're in Jonah chapter 1, and this morning we're just looking at verses 1 through 3 as we introduce, as I introduce this this piece of God's word to us. Um, Jonah chapter 1, 
beginning with verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord, or the word of Yahweh, Jehovah, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, I remember as a child being first introduced to the book of Jonah in like a, a, a kid's Bible story book. And for us as kids, and maybe for many of you, the emphasis was on the thrill of the storm at sea, the big fish that swallowed Jonah, and the fact that he survived. He got, like, vomited up onto the land, and eventually he did go to Nineveh. And the story was, it was exciting, it was intriguing, but it had little meaning to us except to warn us that we better not run away from God, or else we might be swallowed by a big fish. You know what I'm talking about. But as we begin our journey through this relatively small book of the Bible, um, I want us to know right up front that the book of Jonah is about so much more than a storm, a whale, and what will happen to us if we run from God. But the account of Jonah was written and passed down for a specific purpose, and that is for the sake of the lessons that God wanted future generations, even such as us, to learn. But the book of Jonah is not history for history's sake. And in fact, it's interesting that there are many historical details that, that are not given to us in the book of Jonah, such as we would find in other writings of the prophets. But ultimately, this book is a message from God's heart for his people of all generations. And we'll find this morning that it's a message that speaks to us all about his grace. For in the end, as we'll see, the book of Jonah is a story of God's grace at work in the lives of people such as Jonah, people who were seemingly close to the things of God, and God's grace at work among people such as the Ninevites, people who are very, very far from God. It's a story of how God's grace works to save the ungodly of our world, as well as his grace at work to save, correct, and preserve those that belong to him. And as we'll see, even as we've read these first few verses of the book, they begin by describing for us a prophet who ran from God's grace. And I believe that through the person of Jonah, we all catch a glimpse of ourselves. Jonah's responses to God and to the situations of his world, they cause us to look in the mirror. And how many of us know sometimes it's not all that pleasant to look in the mirror? Now, I know sometimes when we're all dressed up and we're looking good, we're like, oh, yeah, you know. But I'd say there's a lot of times, you know, early in the morning, you stumble out of bed and you look in the mirror and go, oh, my gosh, what is that? Where did that come from? How did that happen overnight? And it just might be as we look at the book of Jonah and at Jonah's responses to God, to his world, we're going to find ourselves looking in a mirror and kind of say, man, what is that? As we ask the question, how much of Jonah is in me? How much of Jonah is in me? And so by introduction this morning, I think we first need to answer the question, who was Jonah? 
who was Jonah. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn back to 2 Kings chapter 14, or the scripture will be here on the screen behind me. But here's where we first meet Jonah. And it says there, 2 Kings 14, beginning with verse 23. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Notice, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. And so here is where we first meet Jonah. And and there's a few things we can note up front. The first was that Jonah was a prophet of God. And that simply meant that he'd been called to be God's voice, God's mouthpiece, to speak God's word at God's prompting. We also can note that he prophesied to the northern kingdom. If you remember any of the Old Testament history, the time came after Solomon when the kingdom split into two, the south and the north. And the south was Judah. The north was called by the name Israel. And it was the northern kingdom that totally rebelled and fell into great Um, apostasy and sin. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll find that there were no, that is zero, none. There were no good or godly kings in the northern kingdom. None of them. But that's where Jonah was sent to prophesy. And we can also notice in the passage we read that although the nation was sinful and that even this king that he prophesied under Jeroboam was a sinful king, God used Jonah to speak a word of grace to them. For God, the Bible says, had seen their suffering and, and, and spoke this word that he was going to bring them back to a place of security and prosperity. And in fact, it happened just as Jonah said it would. And in fact, we can note it was not because of what the people had done. They had not turned back to God. They had not repented. They had not gotten their act together and so forth. But it was all because of God's grace that God decided he was not going to wipe out his people who was going to give them another opportunity. Listen, there would be other prophets like Amos and Isaiah who would come with a word of warning regarding the judgment that would come upon Israel, especially by means of the Assyrians. But at this juncture, God used Jonah to declare a word of blessing so that when the people did experience their deliverance and prosperity, they might remember Jonah's words, God's words through Jonah and turn to the Lord. Unfortunately, We might say as a side note that never really happened, and thus eventually judgment did come. But here's what I want us to catch at the start this morning. That apparently Jonah was more than happy to preach to his people whatever God would have him preach. After all, he wanted to see his people saved. He wanted to see the grace of God poured out on the nation to which he belonged. And so when God called him to preach to Israel, even to this evil, wicked king, there was, no, there was no running from God. Jonah did exactly what God said. 
But another thing we can note about Jonah himself is his name. And um, we know that the names of the prophets often had significance, especially in regard to the particular ministry to which they were called. And thus, many commentators point out the fact that Jonah's name means dove. Like, that's what the word Jonah means, dove. And there are many who relate it back to the story of Noah because we, we sense that his name was no mere accident. If you remember the story of Noah, Noah had been part of the largest judgment to have come upon the earth up to that time and since with the great flood that came. But Noah and his family had been saved. And towards the end of the story, we read of Noah releasing a dove out the window. You remember that? Anybody remember that? Yes, come on, wave at me if you remember, right? Right, the releasing of the dove. Good, good. Okay, got to make sure you're with me. So he releases the dove. The first time, the dove just comes back. But the second time, the dove comes back with anyone, remember? An olive leaf, an, an, an olive leaf, right? And, and, and we see that picture drawn many times. And then the third time, of course, it never comes back. For the waters had completely receded. But here's the thing. For Noah and his family, that dove was the first sign that truly God had saved them, that they would not be left to die at sea, that God had fulfilled his word to them, that they had not come under judgment, but instead the grace of God was with them. And since then, the picture of that dove has been a picture of peace and promise and the salvation of God. And so, too, in some ways, the call upon Jonah's life was to be a sign to both Israel and then eventually to the Ninevites that God's grace was available to save them. And so wherever Jonah went with a word from God, he was to bring a sign of salvation, the salvation of God, for he was God's dove being released to bring a sign of God's promise, his peace, and his salvation that was available for all. Something that apparently Jonah did not like when it came to Nineveh. Oh, he was more than happy to be a dove for Israel. But he was not very happy to be that dove for Nineveh. And so some might ask this morning, so what's the big deal with Nineveh? What's the deal with Nineveh? And bottom line, we might say that, listen, Nineveh was a despicable city. The capital of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's greatest threat and greatest enemy at the time. And we can think of some wicked cities today. But I would pose to us this morning that Nineveh probably takes the cake. That's the kind of city it was. In fact, we read much about the city of Nineveh in the book of Nahum. And that's another small book of prophecy. And if you continue flipping from Jonah, you hit Micah, and then you get to Nahum. And in fact, the whole book of prophecy here in the book of Nahum is a book of prophecy against the city of Nineveh and the nation it represented, the empire it represented, the Assyrians. Most likely, this message was not preached to the Ninevites, but was preached to Israel as a word of hope for them, reminding the Israelites the wicked will not always get away with their wickedness. How many of us know that? 
But in this book, in the book of Nahum, we find a description of a cruel and wicked city, a city that embodied all that is evil, a city, that this city and its people that were a major threat to the nation of Israel and the largest threat that was on the horizon at the time. And listen to what Nahum writes in Nahum chapter 3, and I believe it's there on the screen, but it's almost, it's almost like, like in poetic form. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Quite a description of a city. And we're told from history, not just from biblical history, but even extra biblical history, that the Ninevites and the Assyrians, they not only attacked a city, but they tortured and obliterated its people. That they were a power-hungry people filled with all kinds of lust, and as Nahum points out, filled with witchcraft and we could say even demonic worship. God says to Jonah about Nineveh, its wickedness has come up before me. In other words, all the evil of this wicked people has made its way up before the throne of God. And thus, we are reminded at the outset that God not only sees what's happening among his people, but he sees what's taking place among all people. Because how many of us know that he is not just the God of the Israelites? He's not just the God of this group or that group, but he's the God over all nations. And he sees all nations and all people. And so as we read about Jonah being sent to Nineveh, we're reading about God's prophet, his dove, his sign of salvation, being sent to one of the most evil and brutal peoples on the earth at that time, those who pose the greatest threat to Jonah's own people. And notice we can ask, well, what was Jonah's task? In verse 2, God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And when he talks about great, that's not an accolade. It's just talking about how large the city was. And Jonah's task was relatively straightforward. First, go to Nineveh. And that in and of itself would have been a challenge for Jonah. We know from Joppa where he got that boat to go to Tarshish to, to Nineveh was about 550 miles. Not an easy trip in Jonah's day. But not only that, Jonah was being sent into enemy territory. As an Israelite, he was going to stick out like a sore thumb among the people of Nineveh, possibly putting his own life in danger. But God says, go to Nineveh. And then he says, and preach against it. Now, the word in English, against, might not be completely accurate. It may just speak, preach over it. But the thought is simply this. Jonah was to bring a message of impending judgment. And in Jonah 3, 4, we read just a piece of Jonah's message where he goes out and he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that might not be the whole sermon, but it's, a, it's the essence of what Jonah was preaching. It gives us a taste of Jonah's message. And notice, if you will, his message was not, right, a message of, oh, God loves you. 
Oh, God wants to be in relationship with you. Come have a personal relation. Come, have, come to the altar. He was, he, he was not speaking a message about God's desire to save. It was a straightforward message that highlighted the fact that God could no, could no longer and would no longer put up with their wickedness. They were about to be destroyed because their wickedness had made it up before the throne of God. And so what was Jonah's problem? What was Jonah's problem? Listen, I'm sure if if God had said to Jonah about Nineveh, simply, its wickedness has come up before me, and nothing more, Jonah would have had no problem. He probably would have responded saying, yes, that's right, God. They're an evil and godless people who deserve judgment. Go get them, God. Give them what's coming to them. Send down the fire like you did on Sodom and Gomorrah. The twist was, God said, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it or preach over it. And Jonah instinctively knew what God was up to. For as we'll learn in Jonah's complaint later on in chapter 4, Jonah knew that God is a gracious God who always responds to those who repent with an incredible amount of compassion, mercy, and grace. So Jonah, at some point, when he received these instructions from God, go to Nineveh, preach against it. Their sin has come up, uh, come up before my throne. Jonah, at some point, must have asked himself, but what if those Ninevites, by some miracle, actually do repent? What if those Ninevites respond to my preaching? I mean, can you imagine? Here's a preacher who doesn't want anyone to come to the altar. He's saying to himself, what if those terrible people actually show some sign of sorrow over their sin? Oh, no. God just might withhold judgment. After all, I know what God is like. And the very last thing we as Israelites need is for those people to be spared from judgment, from the judgment that's about to fall upon them. The last thing we as Israelites need is for God to relent from judgment and show those Ninevites even a small amount of grace. You see, Jonah found himself in a terrible, terrible dilemma. His calling was that of a prophet, that is to be God's spokesman to whomever God sent him and wherever God sent him. But that was one thing when he was being sent to Israel, even to the wicked kings of Israel. After all, those were his people. They were God's chosen. It was quite a different matter being sent to the Ninevites, those with whom God had no covenant those who threaten the very existence of God's people. You see, Jonah's problem, as we might call it, was that although he loved God's grace in action when it came to himself and his people, he was not so fond of God's grace being extended towards those sinners who deserve nothing more than judgment and death. So notice what Jonah did. We read it there in the scripture. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. That is, Jonah went in the complete opposite direction to flee from the Lord, or literally to flee from the face or the presence of the Lord. Jonah was running from God's grace. Somehow in his rebellion, Jonah forgot the words of the psalmist. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go? Up, down, down. East, west, 
where can I go from your presence? And literally, and the answer, of course, is nowhere. Somehow Jonah got it into his head that if he got out of Israel, out of the promised land, the land that supposedly belonged to Yahweh and his people, and he went to Tarshish, which many say was all the way over in Spain, that he could somehow get away from God's call, out of God's presence, and thus out of God's grace. But he quickly learned that such is never the case. So let me ask us this morning, can we at all relate to Jonah? I mean, who in our minds can we pick out this morning as the most wicked, evil, and even most brutal people on earth today? Or who might we say poses the largest threat to our own existence, maybe as a nation or maybe as a church, as, 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 as the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of God, who poses a threat to us and our way of life? Now, I know from our more enlightened posture, we might say, being New Testament believers, we might say, oh, we have no problem with God's grace being extended to them. But is that really true? Have we really overcome all of our prejudice, our racism, our anger and hatred to the point that we have learned to pray for our enemies, praying that God would spare them, praying that God withhold judgment from them, that God would be gracious towards them? Listen, I'm not trying to, like, play any, any, any cards here this morning, but, but I, I think we need to ask, when was the last time you or I ever prayed for God to be gracious towards ISIS? I mean, have we ever prayed for radical Muslims to be spared the judgment of God? We know judgment's coming on them. Have we ever prayed? Listen, sometimes we get angry when a non-radical Muslim moves into our neighborhood, no less pray for a radical Muslim. But what about the LGBT? LBGQT, I can't even get the letters right, activists, that we, we just sense is ruining our society and our government and our schools and is a threat to our children. When was the last time you prayed that God would have mercy on them? I can't remember the last time I prayed that way. Or let's maybe bring it a little closer to home. What about that person who has hurt you in some way, who's betrayed you, who's broken your heart? How do you feel about God's grace being extended towards them? How do you feel about God's grace being extended towards that drunk driver who killed your child? Or God's grace being extended towards your ex-husband or ex-wife who has made your life absolutely miserable month after month and year after year? Or how about God's grace being extended towards that coworker who's lied about you and stolen the promotion that was rightfully yours? You see, listen, before we come down too hard on Jonah, I said at the beginning, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and we need to confess that we all have a bit of Jonah within us. And thus, it's not out of the question that any one of us might have responded to God's call as he did. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the workers who went out at different times during the day? And the owner of the land, he promised those who went out early in the morning, well, they would get a certain pay at the end of the day. A, couple, a few hours later, he sends out another group. And then, in, and then a few hours later, another group. And then just an hour before the day was to finish, he sends out a final group. And at the end of the day, as they all come in to get their pay, they all get the same paycheck, whether they worked for 
eight hours or they worked for one hour. And those who had been working for eight hours, they turned to the owner and they're like, hey, you know what? That's not fair. That's not fair. And the owner basically says, listen, if I want to be generous towards everyone, that's none of your business. You got exactly what I told you you were going to get. But here's, here's the thing. Those guys who came in early in the morning and worked all day, if they had been the ones who came at the last hour, do you think they would have been complaining? No way, Jose. Oh, Jose, there you are back there. No way. Because here's the thing, right? We all face Jonah's dilemma when it comes to the grace of God. We love God's grace at work in our lives and for those whom we love. We're not so sure we really want his grace at work among others, especially those who pose a threat to us or those whom we perceive as those sinners who really need God's judgment. And so this morning, this morning there's just two takeaways for us. that We kind of say, because I know you're saying, okay, pastor, so what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Two takeaways. And the first, and this is really, really important for us to understand. In God's economy, there are no good people and bad people. Let me say that again. There are no good people, and those are the good people, and those are the bad people. But the Bible teaches us that all of us are sinners in need of God's grace. For the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was a lesson that Jonah had to learn. For in his mind, the Ninevites were bad and he was good. And thus the Ninevites deserved punishment and he deserved grace. And although we'll see that, as we'll see, God was gracious to Jonah by sparing his life. It was not because Jonah was so good. Jonah didn't deserve grace. In fact, by running away, heading in the complete opposite direction, Jonah was revealing his own rebellion against God. I mean, here's the good guy who in his heart was really a rebellious man. Oh, for sure, the Ninevites were sinners deserving of judgment. But listen, so was Jonah and so were his people. In the end, the point is clear. There are no good people and bad people in God's eyes. But rather, we all all are sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. And thus, we all need a Savior. We all need a dove, we might say, a Savior, something... someone who who will help us come face to face with our sin and show us the way of salvation. You know, and I may have shared this before, when we were pastoring down in South Jersey, there was a family there. I was really concerned about them. Because it seemed like there was a family history. I'm not going to say it was a family curse, but there was a family history there. They were tied into... into masonry, the Masonic temple, and so forth, which really, bottom line, teaches a gospel of good works, right? And there's all kinds of other stuff with it, but... um, And and, and the matriarch of the family, I went to visit her one day. She had been in the church all her life. And we talked about Jesus and Savior and sin, and, you know, people, everyone around would have thought, well... She's a good Christian woman. But do you know what she said to me that day in her living room? She said, you know, Pastor, I have never sinned. 
in my whole life, I have never sinned. And she said it with such pride. I've been such a good person. I mean, again, a woman, she's in her 80s. She, she's been in the church all her life. And she dares to say she has never sinned. Listen, the Apostle John says, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God out to be a liar. Here's the problem. The world around us, we know, is filled with sin, and maybe they don't care, and maybe they scoff at God and his ways, and the people of the world, they might try to, try to take control of their lives by means of their rebellion against God, and yes, they deserve judgment, but how many of us know there are also many who, like Jonah, because they have grown up possibly close to the things of God, have become blind to their own sin and thus blind to their own need for God's grace. That's why Jesus says, listen, he said to the religious people, he said, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Because those who are religious, those who come from the right stock, those who've been around the church for a long time, we can say, we can, we can lose our sense that, that we are just as much in need of God's grace as that person who's living outside in rebellion. And that we need his grace at work in our lives, not just once, but day after day after day. The point is simply this. We are all in need of God's grace that no amount of good works, no amount of religiosity, no amount of moralism is able to save us. And so the truth is this. Whether you've grown up in the church or today is your first time in church, whether you've come from a family heritage that's passed on a godly faith to you or whether you've come from a family steeped in evil and sin, no matter where you have come from or what your life has been like, every single one of us here in this room today is in need of the grace of God if we're ever to escape judgment for in the end we are all sinners we are all in need of a savior we're all in need of a savior and let me say you know that when it comes to the gospel that's the very first step to experiencing the grace of God recognizing you know I'm a sinner Thus, I'm separated from God, and I'm headed towards judgment. I'm a sinner. And there might be someone here in this room that, oh, you've been, you've been hearing a lot of sermons, and you've been around church things for a long time, but you've never come to that place where you said, I understand when the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that includes me. And today, I'm here to remind you, and each one of us, that each one of us is a sinner, and we need to Look in the mirror and come face to face with that fact, whether you're a Ninevite or a Jonah. But here's the good news to it, because how many of us know the gospel, the word gospel means good news. You see, we're all sinners. No good people, no bad people. Not those people are good and we're bad or we're, those people are bad and we're good. No, we're just all sinners. The second thing we need to take away is this, that there is no one who's beyond God's grace. There's no one beyond God's grace. That God's grace extends to all people. God's grace is for the church kid as much as God's grace is for that person who's never stepped foot into a sanctuary. God's grace is available to the moral person whose life is filled with good works as well as for the person whose life has been filled with deeds of darkness. There is no one beyond God's grace. 
And that's why Peter tells us that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why? Because you know what happens when someone repents, when someone says to God, God, I am sorry. I confess my sin. I am a sinner, and I come to you, and I ask you to forgive me, and I just want to turn away from all that stuff, and I want to begin to live the way you would have me to live. So I put my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know what happens when someone comes to that place of repentance? The Bible shows us that the grace of God comes flooding in. The grace of God comes flooding in that every sin would be washed away, that they would be set free from the chains of sin, the bondage of sin, that they would be a new creation, a new creature, able to go on and live a new life, and even with a new hope that they will one day not be under judgment, but they will come into eternity with God, their heavenly Father. And thus the call goes out from the throne of God, whosoever will may come, whosoever will may come. Oh, you see right here at the start of the book of Jonah, he becomes. We have the gospel message. Can you believe it? In Jonah. For right here in Jonah, we find the whole purpose between the coming, behind the coming of Jesus, God's son. Listen to what the apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. He says this. And I know you guys in the back don't have it for the screen. Sorry about that. But he writes this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one, so that no one can boast. Oh, I'm reminded this morning that Jesus came making God's grace available to all people as never before. Jesus, we could say, was God's dove, his sign of salvation, the call that says whosoever will may come. And so we're reminded today that, yes, we are all sinners in need of God's grace, a grace that is available for you, for me, for all people. For Jesus Christ has come that we might all have the opportunity to turn from our sin and and to turn towards him and be saved. And so today's message is a call for one, for each one of us to come face to face with ourselves and our own need for the grace of God. And whether you're a Jonah or whether you're a Ninevite, whether you've been close to the things of God or you've lived your life far from the things of God, The call is the same, to confess your sin, to repent of your sin, and to ask God to save you. And I ask you simply this morning, have you been running from God's grace? If so, don't run any longer. But hear the call of God this morning to receive his grace. That's what this table's all about. That's why we're going to come to it here after this message is concluded. 
But this table is all about God's grace being extended to us through the person, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But I ask you this morning, have you been running from God's grace? Maybe you've never come to that place. You've been like a Ninevite. You've never come to that place where you say, oh, man, I really am. I'm, I'm a sinner. I've been living my life in rebellion against God. I've been running from him. I've been, I've been, I've been living a life that is like way far from, from what he would have for me. And you know your life is, is really under the judgment of God. And you know I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher, but we have to you know, call it as it is from the Bible. Today, God says, you don't run any longer. But turn to me. Repent. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin, which means turn from it. And put your faith in the one who's able to save you. His name is Jesus. Or maybe you're like a Jonah this morning, and man, you think you've had it all together. You're the prophet of God. But you know your heart's not really right with God. You've got anger, you've got bitterness, prejudice, racism, whatever you want to call it. Today, you need the grace of God at work in your life as well. Today, maybe there's some sin that you need to confess before you would receive from this table as you ask God to forgive you for the rebellion that's in your heart. You see, the truth is, we're all in need of God's grace day by day by day. I love what the Lord spoke into Paul's life one day when he was at that place of struggle. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Oh, can we allow God's grace to be sufficient for us today? Will you bow your heads with me? Worship team, would you join us here? Father, this morning, this morning, we just thank you that that you are a God of great mercy and grace. And Lord, we admit this morning, we are all sinners. We are all sinners. We have all rebelled against you. We've all been like those sheep who have gone astray as we have sought to live life the way we want to live it. And we all just naturally end up under judgment but God, you have provided a way of salvation for each one of us. And I pray for us here today, for those who are maybe new and have been living their life far from you, others who have maybe thought they've been close to the things of, of your heart, of your kingdom, of your word, and yet, and yet there's been rebellion. They've been like Jonah, at times even seeking to run from you and your grace. But today, that you would have mercy and grace upon us as we look to Jesus, as we look to Jesus this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and maybe you're here this morning, you just want to just continue to pray. Just say thank you to God for his grace at work in your life. Listen, where would you be today if it wasn't for his grace? I think many of us, we can picture where we'd be. Just thank him for his grace. But maybe you're here this morning and for the first time you realize your need for a Savior. You need Jesus to come into your life. You need Jesus to wash away your sin, to make your life new today. And to give you hope for eternity. 
Today you realize you, you want to come out from under judgment. You want to experience the life and the blessing of God. And you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I need God's grace at work in my life. Maybe for the first time. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need God's grace at work in my life through Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Maybe just look at me real quick. And we will, I would just want to take a moment to pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you this morning. Is there anyone else this morning? I see one, two hands have been lifted. Anyone else this morning? So, Father, you see those whose hearts are being extended to you by means of a sign of a raised hand. God, I pray your touch upon their life. God, that they would know that your grace is sufficient for them today to save them, to forgive them, to cleanse them, to make them new, and to keep them until the day that one day we, we see you face to face. So we love you this morning. And we thank you, God, for your incredible work of grace at work in our lives even today, even today. I pray for some who find themselves in a place of struggle this morning.